0: Our scripture day is from Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, you, Cassie. Well, good morning. I'm Tim Roundtree, and I'm filling in for Luke today. I'm one of the leaders here, one of the elders here, and Luke is uh, on a well-deserved rest. Um, So I'm glad to be here. Let me pray for us uh, and pray for the sermon, and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that, that we were orphans, but now we're your children. That we were lost, but now we've been found. That we are not sufficient to meet our needs, but you're fully sufficient. And we pray today that you would honor yourself by helping us to see from your word clearly who you are, how you love us, and how we can trust you in the middle of all of life's circumstances. So we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. I get a little emotional sometimes. I'm going to apologize in advance. I think I'm an emotional guy. I'm also on a little sleep. And both of those conspire to uh, make me weepy. But I can still bench press about 300, so I feel confident in, my, in myself. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. So we are in the middle of a series about knowing God and what that means for our lives, how knowing God changes us. And uh, today, the uh, topic of concern is knowing God in peace, knowing the God of peace. And in some ways, I'm particularly inadequate to stand in front of you because I've dealt with worry all my adult life. I've been filled with fear. I've been the man of little faith that Jesus talks about. But in other ways, I'm very qualified to stand here and talk to you because my Savior Jesus in many ways has delivered me from significant fear and because his word is true and it's true for me and it's true for you today. So I'm going to invite you to join me as we study God's word together and learn how we can live our lives and face our fears in confidence that God our Heavenly Father is provide what we need. Because the truth is, we're going to all experience fears. You may not have experienced or struggled with fear like, like I have, although I bet many of you have. But all of us will face times when we know that we are not in control, and that's scary. All of us are going to face times when we look at life around us and we don't have the resources to meet these needs. And we don't know what we're going to do. And in those times, we need to be firmly rooted in the truth that we're going to learn today. Okay, D.A. Carson, a uh, popular uh, pastor and theologian, at least I think he's popular, uh, he says the time to learn about suffering, and you could say the time to learn about worry or anxiety, is before you actually get into it. So today, if you're in the middle of anxiety and worry, this will be helpful for you, I believe by God's spirit. But if you're not in the middle of worry and suffering, pay attention, because you will be at some point. And when you are, I believe that these truths will provide a foundation that you can face your fear and go on with God in peace. So what happens when um, when we are afraid? When we, When we look around our lives and we think, I don't see how God is going to meet these needs. We kind of question God, don't we? We wonder, we ask, does God care? Can he help? And sometimes it's even more troubling when we know that God does care and he can help, but we don't see what he's doing and we don't understand. What are you doing, God? I know you're good. I know you're powerful. I know you can do anything. What are you doing? And it's into that situation that Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 6 in this Passage that comes from a larger section called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching his disciples, what does it mean to live life with God? And that's really what we're talking about, and that's what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom has come, uh, and he says he wants to teach us the life in the kingdom. That's another way to think about the Sermon on the Mount. How do we live life with God? And so he tells us, he he begins in in chapter 6 and verse 25 with a command. And a question. And that command and question, I hope, is going to shape the rest of our conversation today. Okay? So here's the command. Don't worry. (laughs) All right, close your Bibles. We're done. (laughs) Don't worry. But it is a command. Don't worry about your life, about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, these basics, these necessities, and then he asks a question, is that life more than that? So I, I hope and pray that as we go through the rest of our time together, that, that you're going to remember and Jesus says, don't worry. And he asks you to come up with the answer to the question, what is life about? What is it really about? So I've got three points and a main idea, which is, I hope, good. So here's the three points God's care. Our dependence, point two. And then God's promise. That's how we're going to navigate through this passage. And here's the big idea. Here's the main thing that if you, if you take this away with you and then I'll think through that as you're facing fears and worries and as you read God's word, I think it'll help. Here's the big, the big idea. That as we depend on God's care for us and as we trust his promises to us, we will have peace in the middle of life no matter what going, whatever's going on around us, okay? As we depend on God's care for us and we trust his promises to us, we're going to be able to have peace no matter what is going on around us. So as we've already talked about, there's going to be times when we, when we have questions about God's care for us, uh, The Gospel of Mark reflects a time when the disciples are in the boat with Jesus. We actually studied this sometime last year, I think it was. They're in the boat, and uh, they're going along, and Jesus is wiped out from ministry. He's tired. And he's asleep in the boat, and a great storm hits, and it's terrifying to the disciples. And do you remember what they do? Because Jesus is not waking up. He's he's dead tired. They wake Jesus up. What do they tell him? In Mark, I think it's in chapter 4. Teacher. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? And that is a question that we're going to have and that we're going to have to answer when we face suffering, when we face need, when we want to know how to live in peace. We need to be confident and at least know that God does care for us. And so Jesus doesn't leave us to wonder. He gives us some arguments, some ways that we can know that God our Father cares for us. And he does that by looking at the natural world, what's around him. So first, he tells us, uh, we need to look at the birds, we need to look at the grass. Seems odd to us, but that would have been very normal. There's no TV in Jesus' day. They're, they're actually outside doing things. So they see birds around and they see, and they see the grass grow. Jesus re- refers to those. He wants the people to understand how God cares for things and how it applies to us. And once again, it's very important to know that God cares for you. And as an attorney here in town, I talk to people in legal trouble, and sometimes I get phone calls. And the phone calls say, I have an attorney, I think, he doesn't care about my case. It's very hard to entrust yourself to someone that you know is eminently qualified and able to do the job, but doesn't care about you. And Jesus wants you to know that God, your Father, cares about you. So first he says, look to the birds. Let me read verse 26. i have to take my glasses off to do that. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? So when was the last time that you actually paid attention to the sparrows? Have you done it recently? And getting ready today for uh, a sermon. I did a little research on sparrows. Very little, about 30 seconds. And uh, I found a Smithsonian article online that said that scientists estimate there's probably more sparrows in the world than there are human beings. That's a lot of sparrows. I've not ever hardly noticed any of them, right? I mean, I go out for lunch sometimes, and I sit in a plaza area that's near my office to work on my suntan to get outside, and I watch the birds and they hop around and they peck a little bit and they kind of get in the water and fluff all around and then they get out in the sun and, and sun themselves and dry off, right? And then I get up and I walk back to my office and I don't give them a second thought. They're not on my radar. They are insignificant to me. And that's Jesus' point. There are so many sparrows. There are so many birds. And yet your Heavenly Father provides for them. They don't, they don't work To store. They don't work to plant. They don't plan for the future, which are good things to do. Not telling you you shouldn't do it. But they don't do that, and yet God, our Heavenly Father, provides for them. Some of the most insignificant and small creatures, and yet God cares for them. God, the one who made everything, He's got kind of a lot to do, right? But He cares for them. And then Jesus also says, Look at the grass. Verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Something we need. I think we're all glad that we're clothed here today. I know I am. Why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? You know, grass is pretty temporary, right? It's here for a while. We've had more green grass than usual here in Texas, but usually in the summertime it's burnt up, it's brown. And in Jesus' day, maybe that grass would be used for fuel. Maybe it would be harvested and thrown in the fire and burned for fuel. But God makes beautiful flowers grow in those fields to clothe them, you know? We might think it's LBJ or Lady Bird Johnson that makes the blue bonnets grow on the side of the road, but it's not. We can thank her for the program, but God's the one that makes those flowers grow. And if God cares so much to make the roadside beautiful, how much more does he care for you? So that's Jesus' point. It's the, the scholars, the theologians, maybe the logicians say it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. What did Jesus say? Aren't you worth more than the birds? It's not to denigrate God's care for them, but it's to say, don't you know Jesus wants you to know, don't you know how valuable you are to God, how much he cares for you? So from the lesser to the greater, if he clothes the grass, won't he provide for you? See, God's not like us in many ways. Because he can care about even the smallest of details and yet hold your care and concern in his hands. But that's not the only reason that Jesus gives us for having confidence that God's able to care for even the smallest details. He also gives us another reason. Notice who's doing this caring in verse 26. Your heavenly father. That's important. God wants you to know that he is your heavenly father. I went to school for a short time with a man named Don. Don grew up in Vietnam, well, for a time. But when he was a child, he and his sister fled Vietnam. His father was dead, his mother was there, and he went to a camp in Cambodia. And at some point in the process, he became a Christian. He's a young child. And he walked, he related to us, he shared with us how he would walk around the camp praying for God to meet their needs to survive. And how he just became convinced that God was his heavenly father who loved him. And so when the news came that he and his sister had been adopted, Don shared with us that he wasn't afraid at all. He was absolutely convinced that this family must be the best family in all the world. Because his Heavenly Father, as Don would often say, he only gives good gifts. See, the confidence that God is your Heavenly Father can enable you to face the uncertainty of move across the whole world to a new family that you don't even know without fear. Because you know your Heavenly Father loves you. And he only gives you good gifts. So first point, God cares for you. And you can have confidence. Look at the birds. Look at the grass. Remember that he is your Heavenly Father. Our problems are not too small for God to notice. He's eminently qualified for all of that. But here's Jesus' second point, And it's a little less encouraging to me. It might be to you too. Because it's the point is this, you're not in control I'm sorry. I don't like to not be in control. Last month, you know, I'm in business for myself, and I keep track of where my clients come from. I keep track of how people hear about me. I do some marketing and some business development, right? And then last month, all my business came from places that I didn't expect. None of the marketing I paid for produced the business. Now, it was good business. I was glad to have it, but not really. Why? Because I wasn't in control, I didn't produce that business. It came to me by the gracious hand of God. Now, the truth is, that's always true. But none of us like to feel like we're not in control. And that's why we're tempted to worry when we realize that. And Jesus wants us to know that the bad news is worse than you realize, but that the good news is far better than you could have hoped for. So let me, let me read quickly in verse 28. Here's the bad news. Verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Can you do that? I bet if you talked to Dr. Derek, he'd tell you that actually worry probably shortens your life. But that's not exactly Jesus' point either. His point is, is that you don't even have the power to add one single hour to your life. Thanks again, Internet, the average American life is approximately the male life, 78 years. That's about 638,000 hours. I didn't multiply that out. I searched it on the internet. 638,000 hours. And you don't have the power by your worry to add one 638,000th of time to your life. Pretty small, right? You don't have the power. But here's the good news. God does. The one who gave you life and everything is in control. Your heavenly father and he loves you and he has all the power that he needs to take care of you. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breadth and everything. Our 401ks don't secure our future. It's good to have them but they don't. God's in control of the stock market, right? Our fitness plans are important and good, but they don't guarantee that we'll live one second longer than our Heavenly Father has for us on this earth. So here's the bad news that Jesus wants you to embrace. You're not in control. And when you begin to embrace that with the corresponding truth that God, your Heavenly Father, is in control, then you can have peace in the midst of all circumstances. So, if we want to experience peace, we've got to depend on the care of our heavenly Father who loves us. Uh, Tim and Christy Mingus uh, were uh, members of our church from the very very beginning. They just moved to California. Tim is in the Air Force and was transferred. And right before he was transferred, he was given an award for bravery, uh, and competence, and excellence. Uh, in flying. See, he's a training pilot and they were out on a mission southeast of here and his uh, plane was struck by a, a bird and it took out all of his instruments and in fact it made it where he couldn't even speak to the training pilot behind him and there was cloud cover so they couldn't see so Tim took over control of the aircraft and was able to go up and he looked off in the future and he saw a town and Tim didn't know where they were, he told me um, so therefore, he couldn't plot a course to get them to safety, where they could land. So he thought, "I'll drive over. To, I'll f- drive. I'll fly over that town and see what I can see." And he did, and never has one pilot been so thankful for high school football in Texas, because as he looked down, he saw the Quail Gobblers Stadium, and he knew where he was, and he was able to plot a course to get him back to safety, so that they could land. He knew where he was. And many times we're like that. We need something to orient us in the storms of life. When we're tempted to anxiety and worry, we need something that shows us where we are and how to go where we want to be. And Jesus gives us that in verse 31. Let me read it for us. He gives us a command and an orienting principle. Therefore, here's the command again don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. To what will orient us? How can we find our steady ground in the midst of anxiety and worry? First of all, remember the promise. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And the truth is, he knows better than you know what you need. Better than I know what I need. Your heavenly father, he knows what you need. So therefore, Jesus tells his original disciples, don't run around like the Gentiles seeking after these things. Okay? Now, most of us, probably all of us are Gentiles, not not Jewish. What is Jesus saying there? What he's saying to his original hearers is they don't have the promises of God as their heavenly father like you do. So you don't have to live your life like that. And Paul's very clear, Thanks. By the grace of God, now, through faith in Christ, we all, Jew and Gentile alike, are one new people to church, and we have the promises of God as our Heavenly Father. So first of all, what orients us? God is your Heavenly Father. As we've talked about, He cares for you, so you don't have to run after these other things as your first priority. But then Jesus answers His question. Remember, what was the question? What's life all about, Really? Isn't there more to life than what we eat and drink and where we live, what our job is? Isn't there more to life than that? And Jesus answers it. He says, yes. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So that's the orienting principle. And here's a promise. And your Heavenly Father is going to provide what you need. So what does that mean, seek first God's kingdom? God's kingdom is in many ways a shorthand for just saying this. It's God's loving, kingly, and fatherly rule and reign in the lives of his people here and now and in the future to come. What Jesus is saying is life is more than eating and drinking and what you wear. That's important, but there's something even more important. Your biggest need is to know God as your father, your savior, your king, and to live your life daily in light of that. That's your biggest need. And so when we face anxiety and we wonder, what is God up to? You can know that that, if you're a Christian, if you follow Christ, that is his priority for you. Even over food and drink, we need that more. It's hard to believe sometimes, but we want to hold on to the truth of God's word and the goodness of his promises. So God's promises that As we follow him into the kingdom, he will give us what we need. We could be tempted to read that as um, a transactional account, right? If you seek God, he'll provide all you need. But remember Acts already, right? God already provides what we need. God sustains the whole world. He keeps, as my kids and I have talked, he keeps the air being air. If God didn't do that, we wouldn't have air. He makes water, water. We don't have to open the spigot and worry that it's going to be gasoline when we take a drink, unless we live in some parts of the United States. But for the most part, we don't have to worry about that. It's water, right? God sustains everything. So this is not some transactional approach. If you really seek God, he'll provide what you need. No. This is a fatherly encouragement. Your Heavenly Father wants you to know he knows you need all these things. And as you follow them, him, and seek after him and his righteousness, not only will you get him your deepest need, but he'll he'll give you what you need on the journey. So, just in conclusion, how can we have peace when we're looking at our basic needs that we don't yet know how they're going to be met? Well, we've got to depend on God's care for us, which he's promised, and we've got to trust those promises. So would you stop and pray with me and ask God to increase our faith, provide our needs, and help us to love him as we seek him first, trusting that he's going to provide what we need. You're a good father. We love you and we thank you, Heavenly Father, that that's true. You are not not father-like. You're not someone who isn't a father but has some qualities of fathering. Instead, you are truly our Heavenly Father, and you are truly the Father that all of us other dads want to be like and need to be like. We thank you that that's true. Help us to rely and trust you, to rely on your care for us, and to trust in your promise to us that you'll provide what we need. You will give us yourself, and you will enable us to follow you. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you, Tim.